was about as bizarre and as easy as it gets. So the number for me was a number that would allow me to never have to work. I feel like we got top, top, top. I went from a sale of you know five hundred thousand dollars to in debt. One hundred ninety-two million dollars. This is Built to Sell Radio with your host John Warlow. Hey there, it's John Warlow. Listen, if you're brand new to Built to Sell Radio, welcome. It's good to have you along for the ride. We've been doing this show now for five years. I've interviewed literally a different entrepreneur every week for the past five years, and I've taken some of their best practices, their their tips and tricks and negotiation hacks, and distilled them all into a field guide. It's a book called The Art of Selling your business. And it is a little bit of a recipe card for you to punch above your weight when it comes to negotiating with an acquirer. You can get it at builttosell.com slash selling. So how was last year for you? If you're like a lot of entrepreneurs, it was the most difficult year of your career. Maybe it was difficult financially. It most certainly was difficult emotionally. And you may be at a point where you just want out. Your EBITDA is down, your profitability is down, you're a shadow of your former self as a company, but that doesn't matter to you. You just want to sell and move on with your life. And if that's the situation you find yourself in, I think you're going to really enjoy my next guest. His name is Cesar Quintero, and he built a company called Fit2Go. They did meal delivery service, built it up to $3 million in revenue when COVID hit. COVID devastated his company, as he will describe, and I think he takes away and shares some really wonderful lessons for anybody who finds himself in that situation. There is life after your business, and there may be a way to structure the sale of your company so that both you and your buyer ultimately walk away winning. Here to tell you how he did it is Cesar Quintaro. Caesar Quintero. Good to have you on Built to Sell Radio. Thank you, John. Good to be with you. So tell me a little bit about fit to go What do you guys do? Well, first of all, I want to thank you for having me. I'm a big fan of the show. <laughs> <laughs> I know everybody says that, but I have to. No, it's great to have you. Um, fit to go So uh, a little bit about fit to go I, I, uh, I'm originally from Venezuela and South America, and I moved to Miami when I was 24. At 24... I decided to get married, move to Miami, to a new country, and start a business all at the same time. Because, you know, why not? Did you throw in a couple of kids in the meantime? Or like, no, no, that I told my (laughs) wife is like, she don't want to move as, you know, without without getting married. So I'm like, okay, let's get married, but no kids, at least for five years. I'm starting up a company. Um, And I started Fit2Go. It's a food delivery company. So we cooked and delivered meals and took them to people in their office. Now, mind you, this is 2004. So this is pre-Facebook, pre-Uber Eats, pre-all of this. I had to knock on doors and convince people it was convenient to have your meals delivered kind of thing. Wow. Right? And so who would they, I mean, was it like people working in banking and kind of white collar industries that that's, wanted- That's interesting you say that because our, our, our core target shifted, right? So in my mind, I wanted, I wanted a healthy gourmet, very high level menu, you know, for the CEOs and the C-level. And then I realized that, you know, my, my target was people who are stuck at the office, like you know, CEO, everybody wants to go out for lunch. You know? And uh, so, so it was bankers, teachers, uh, 
you know, administrators, people who are just stuck in the office, but they wanted to eat something healthy and and and, and they didn't want to go down to the food court and get an A and W or or a McDonald's burger exactly, or whatever. They, exactly. Got it. And so you cooked. The, so did you have a uh, like a, a like a kitchen where you're actually yeah, cooking so, the meals? Yeah. So wow. my, my background, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a process engineer. I, I graduated as a, as a process engineer. And I saw this opportunity because I, I, I was in PNG for four years in, in, in Latin America and I, and I gained weight and I, you know, I always had this struggle with weight my whole life. And, and uh, when I moved to Miami, I realized, you know, there's this gap of healthy food and people wanting healthy and then the convenience of delivery, logistics, right, process. So how can I get a centralized location and deliver all over? So this is pretty innovative at the time. We were the first ones here. Um, and so we, we built a commissary kitchen and, and as all startups, you know, they told me it'll take six months, you know, and with permitting and all that, it took like a year and a half. So wow. I couldn't, I couldn't start selling a meal because I decided to, so I have a lot of bad experiences while building my business and bad, uh, good stories on what not to do. Um, but, you know, coming into a, a new country, not knowing how to, how to do the business, you know, it's, it's, it's part of the pain. And I was 20. Well, what was your biggest mistake in those early days? You know, I'll, I'll, say, I'll say there were three, three things that, that were the, most big, the, the biggest. I think the first one was, you know, wanting to do a kitchen from scratch and have it perfect. And, you know, I had this, this, this friends and family money. And I'm like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend it in cr- getting a new kitchen, getting these new things. Instead of just, you know, renting something that was already with permits and done, I could, I could get, or bought, even now and they, I would have bought a business with, with catering or permitting and all of that, you know? So that was it's one so of the- fu- It's yeah, so right. funny you mentioned this. I had, I, a buddy of mine was talking about restaurants and, yeah. and he was saying, the only way to make a restaurant profitable is the fourth time. And I'm like, what do you mean fourth time? And he's like, yeah. so the first guy goes in and he buys all the top of the line stuff, right? Exactly. He goes bankrupt. The next guy goes in and buys it for 80 cents of the dollar. He yeah. goes bankrupt. The third guy comes in and buys it for 50 cents of the dollar. He goes bankrupt. The fourth guy buys it for 10 cents of the dollar and he makes a profitable restaurant. Yeah. They, they know my pain. They know my pain. So, so yeah, so definitely we, that, that I don't mean to laugh at it, but things, right. And the grease trap and the whole thing, permitting always changes. It's terrible. The second thing is hiring family friends, you know, at the beginning, you know, I didn't know anybody here and I, I just bringing in people and not, not, and I don't think the issue was hiring family and friends. I think it was not setting the right, the right um, boundaries or the right accountabilities on what each person was responsible for. And we were not aligned in vision. So I think, I think they were going that way. I was going this way. Give and, me a real life story, Caesar, related oh, to the downside of having friends and family. Like names aside, we can like your uncle, your brother-in-law. We don't have to <laughs> actually oh, name you. them. I have my best friend, my best friend was was part of our team. And um, tell me a story. Um, let's see. Uh, you know, there, there were times when when you know we would mix social and, and and business. So you know, at that time we were a startup and you know, we couldn't pay anybody enough. And we, you know, we were going through this things and, and she, you know, it's like, I can't believe I'm doing this for this price. And I can't, you know, I could be doing something better. And, and, and that way I started thinking the same thing, you know, I'm like, that's right. I don't understand. I've been doing this for so long and why I'm not making more money. My friends are making more money. So I think just that, <laughs> so that's not an example of accountability, but I like having people that you blur their lines of a friend plus, you know, business. Um, but you know, like different ways of tackling marketing. At that time, we were trying to spread a new concept. We were trying to teach people that you could have your meal delivered every day. And people just were like, why would I do that? Like, 
So, so it, it was it was a gap we needed to teach. So my approach was door to door, giving out free samples. Their their approach was to you know, but then we weren't we weren't aligned, and we were losing our our money out. And you know, I was giving away meals. They were giving away you know weeks or months, and then we just creating buzz and doing different things. And it's like you know, we weren't focused on the on the same thing. You know, so yeah. What was the third mistake? And my yeah, and my mom my mom was a finance person. <laughs> And she wanted to do an Excel, not QuickBooks, you know, because that's the way she did it all her life. And I'm like, okay, it's my mom. What am I going to say? But then it's not efficient. Like I, I had to wait a full month for, for financials and I can't, like I'm running out of negative. So, you know, so, you know, so, so that type of thing, you know, <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. So what was the third mistake? Third mistake I would say is not knowing the market well enough. And I think you talk about this a lot in your show. And I, I think it's, um, me being from Latin America, our main meal is lunch. And uh, so fit to go was, was, was done as a lunch delivery meal service for people in their office. And we wanted to be at the $15, $20 mark because that's the main meal. But then people in America don't want to pay more than 10 bucks for lunch. You know, they can eat an apple. I don't need, I don't, I can eat a subway for $5. So like, me understanding that in the creation and the value proposition of the business was flawed because people pay more for dinner and they're fine. Restaurants, they want drinks. That's where they make their money. And I was a food delivery service for lunch. So I got myself in the, in the worst niche where people wanted to pay less for and undervalued our product. So, um, so that, was, that was a big mistake. And we had to pivot that where we started delivering lunch, dinner, meal plans, full days, and things like that, where, where we crafted and we pivoted uh, to more value, more, more of what, what people needed, you know? Got it. You mentioned friends and family. So how did you finance the business? Sounds pretty capital intensive, especially with the, the, you know, the facility, the kitchen and so forth. How did you finance it? Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a bootstrap guy. I, I, I've never had a financing background. That's why selling the business was completely different and foreign to me. Um, so I, it was, it was, it was mostly, I had three uncles. Uh, my, my mom was my partner at the time. So, so her, she was part of this and then, um, and then me, so all my savings. So it was, it was mostly, it was like 250,000 in total that we put in to build a kitchen, do the whole thing. Um, so, you know, we, we just got what we could and just put it to, to produce. We, we were cash flow positive after like, um, eight months. And Caesar, the the 250 was that debt or did you give them equity or how did you structure that? Yeah. So my mom was my 50% partner. We we later realized that we could not work together. So she became more, (laughs) I became kind of the hundred percent owner of the company and operational and everything. And did you buy her out or did she just she wave moved her back equity? to Venezuela and she said, I don't want to be in a business. I don't know why I wanted to be in a business. <laughs> <laughs> so did you buy her out? Did you pay for her or did it, was it just love money? And <laughs> it, it was love. So that was my first sell was I, 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 I bought, I took her out of the, of the company. So yeah. So you so did the, give her money. Uh, 2017. Yes. And okay. And so, oh, I see. So when you sold the first tranche of your equity, your yep. mom benefited in. Correct. I see. Okay. Yeah. We'll get so to was, that in a moment. I guess she was an invest investment uh, partner. Um, Got it. For those, uh, what was it? 2004 to 2017. So yeah, that's. that's Got it. And how about your uncles? Did they invest in, in get equity or did they just lend you the no, money? No, it was mostly a loan, loan type. Yeah. Got it. 
Got it. So you and your mom are 50-50 partners going into this. She's doing the Excel spreadsheets and you guys are cranking this out. How, like, how big did you get this company before you chose to, to, to bring on, to sell half of it effectively? Which we'll get uh, to we got to 3.25. Um, so it, 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 it went through different iterations. I think there was a first iteration where we got to a million and a half. I think it was like five years into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we got stuck there for a little bit. So we got stuck there uh, for like five years. Um, and then we, we were able to double um, once I, I understood that I didn't have to do anything and I learned how to be a better leader. So I think it also came with age. I think at 24, 26, 28, I, I, I thought I knew everything and I had to be the leader that told everybody what to do. Um, and then I, I kind of quickly grew up. 2012, 13 is when we doubled. Um, so we, we kind of went, we went little by little and boom, 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 boom. And we grew. Um, so that's, that's, that's when we got to the valuation. And that's when Josh came in. Josh came in like uh, two years before. Okay, um, we'll get to him. We'll get to Josh in a minute, but I'd love to know what you learned about managing. Because I think a lot of people listening to this will be like, yeah, we've been plateaued at a million, at three million, at five million, whatever the number is, for years. And I would love to know what Caesar did to to all of a sudden double. Because that's a big change, right? To go from a million and a half for kind of five years, and then all of a sudden to double. So there must have been something, and you just chalked it up to age, but there must've been tactically something you did differently. Yeah. So I, knowing your show, I'm, I'm just going to open up and say the truth and, you know, be vulnerable here, but actually it was, it was something that happened to us. Um, in 2012, we got hit with a class action. Um, and, and it was, you know, it was a bogus, a bogus, uh, claim. We were the fifth company targeted by this girl and attorney. And, you know, I had plateaued. We were kind of plateaued for, for like four, four years trying to get to the next level. Um, and I realized that, you know, we got hit with this lawsuit and I, my ego decided to fight. You know, we were like, we need to fight this. I'm in the right. I'm going to prove that I was right. And my team, everybody banded and we're like, we're all going to prove this is, you know, she's not getting a dime. So, you know, she got like three of the new guys to, to go with her. So that's why it was a class action. It was four people. Uh, five, I think at the end. And, and then, but, but all my team just banded together. Right. Um, and this year, 2012 was a very tough year for me. Um, my, my first daughter was born. That's, that's a one, but then, uh, you know, the, the lawsuit didn't, didn't allow me to, to concentrate in the business. It, it, all my energy just waned out. Um, my health deteriorated that year. I got diagnosed with like three different things, genetical things. I think the stress was just causing me to do these things. And I remember there was a point in, in that year, it was Black Friday, where I'm like $0 in my bank account, $0 in, in, in our company account. And that's when like, I, I saw my team were in a meeting and I'm like, I don't even know what to do now. Like I, and, you know, literally a tear down my face. And I'm like, guys, I think I hit this. I don't know what to do. Like I, I, my ego got in the way and I wanted to fight this we won, she got $500, but her attorney, my attorney, the process cost like 250 or something. And we're like, I don't, like, I don't know what to do. And, and that's when I realized my team stepped up and they said, you don't have to, like, we can do it too, right? And they cut their salaries. Let's make this work. We're gonna, I think it was the first time that we all had a purpose 
that aligned towards the same. Like it, it's the first time that something galvanized us to one one thing. It was to to pay the attorneys in one year. That that was our goal, right? And that's I read, uh, and that's one of the the reasons I sold the business was I read this book uh, by Jack Stack called The Great Game of Business. Great Game of Business, yeah. Or Stake in the Outcome is his other one, yeah. Exactly. And 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 I said, you know what? I'm going to follow this book to the T. So I didn't even make calculations. I followed the same percentages of bonuses, all that. And we, I, I said, okay, this is where we're at. This, these are the books. What can we do? And they're like, okay, let's cut here. Let's cut there. Let's do this. Let's do that. And it, incredibly, we paid the attorneys off in one year. Wow. And that, and that was a $250,000 bill? Yeah. And you said the, the attorneys got 500. Are you saying 500,000 or $500? No, no. She got $500. Okay. That Meaning was, the, the, the woman who brought the class action suit. Yes. And, and remember, they get 50% of that, right? Because they have to give their attorney that. So that was my, my only thing in the settlement. You won, damn it. <laughs> I don't know if I can share this, by the way, but hey, I did. Oh, and so the- <laughs> That was long enough. Yeah, yeah. And so, so the, but your attorneys charged you $250,000 to defend no, it was, the No, it was her attorney plus my attorney plus okay. the process- the mediation process. It, it was. It was just. A, it was just a long process. What was the class action suit over? Like, what were they? It was over wage for? and hour. So I had Uber before Uber. So they were contractors, cars, insurance. Okay. They had their own thing, and they were claiming that I had to pay them fifty five dollars on the mile, uh, fifty five cents on the mile, uh, okay. like what the IRS says. And it's like, it, it was just complete nonsense. It was dismissed by the judge eventually, um, as well at the end. And they force her attorney to just settle, but you know, that's, it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. the lesson I mean, was he, that, you know, it was the worst and best thing to happen to me. It, 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 it brought me closer to my team. It, it made me realize that I, I didn't have to have all the answers because that's what that was that you, you asked me before, what was a change in leadership? And I think that's why I, I told this story is because that's when I realized that leadership isn't about telling people what to do is, is mostly like just, you know, just allowing people to take ownership of their jobs and their roles. And, and, you know, so that's when I did a purpose discovery, uh, you know, with, with the Simon Sinek strategy. And then I did EOS, I did Jack Stack game. Of, so I did all these things of just trying to decentralize me and, 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 and connect with my team, um, which, which was a big game changer for me. I'd love to explore a little bit about, about open book management and, and bringing the team on board. Um, what was the most surprising thing? I, I, clearly, there was an initial surprise that how engaged your team was and how willing to, to step up they were and how committed they were. So, so I, I want to acknowledge all those things. And as you went through the process of running the company in an open book style, I'd be curious to know six months, nine months, 12 months later, what was the most surprising thing? Was there anything that you didn't expect? Two things, I think. the The first one is um, the fir the first exercise the book tells you to do is walk up to your team and say, "Okay, so we sell this meal for ten dollars. How much do you think we get as a company for selling this meal for ten dollars?" Right? And the average response was six six dollars, seven dollars, which to their mind it's sixty seventy percent prop. Like I'm like, no, we get fifty five cents on the dollar for every bag we sell. 
And they're like, what? That makes no sense. And I'm like- You mean 55 cents for every meal you sell? For every meal, for every meal, yeah. Okay, you said Sorry. on the dollar, oh, so I- I apologize, I apologize. Oh, no, for that's every, okay. I just want to make sure. So after you yeah. pay for all the wages in the kitchen and the food inside, you get so, 55 cents. So when we started, it was 5.5%, which is the average on most restaurants, right? And and I consider myself, and you know, I didn't have- I didn't have the beverage and all that. So, you know, that's what I thought was normal. And within a year, we got to 12% net profit. So we, mm. we, we more than like, we more than doubled our profit by doing this. And it was, and these are the little things that happened, right? So there was a guy in our kitchen who was accountable for utilities, right? And he would watch the utilities seat every week. Every Wednesday was our, was our open book meeting. And you know, and he noticed that the gas was going up, you know, the propane gas was going up little by little. It's, it's, it's something we wouldn't notice because it's, it's such, you know, it's so small, but he noticed and it was, you know, it was going up and up and up. And then it's like, wait, 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 we renegotiated the deal. We went down, we dropped the percentage, but then not only that, when he was in the kitchen, you know, when somebody left the fridge open, he would be the first one like, close the fridge, close the fridge. You know, it's like he was in charge of utilities, right? So like, and imagine that to every level, inventory, utilities, uh, you know, all, all these things that just happened that were, I before was accountable for all of these costs and nobody cared. Now every single person took ownership of these things. And Caesar, did you let them participate in the business? Like, how did you incentivize them? Did you change their incentivize? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the book, the book gives us a, it's it's um it's a game, right? So every everybody gets two goals. The first goal is a company wide goal, which in our case was profit. So if we all achieve profit, we all get a certain amount of bonuses. So for a ten dollar an hour person, they would have gotten you know probably two. Like if we got to that, it would have been a month of salary a year, right? And then, and then the second one was per department. So if, if kitchen was under 11% of sales, if office, you know, if, if, um, if purchasing was under 32% of sales, if, you know, and, and we had like department targets, then they would, you know, if they hit that, it's another, they double the profit, right? So that first year, <laughs> I never thought we would double profit. Like, we set the goals like, oh yeah, if we go over 10%, you know, we got two months of salary. Everybody got two months of salary at the end, right? And, and it was crazy. You're talking about, you know, cook, line cooks and all this. And, and that's one of the things that, you know, in Great Kitman's business also, the example is a factory, right? So this worked really well with people who did not understand how financials worked because it taught them that everything that they do and how they affect the bottom line. And it was, it was, it was incredible. Yeah. So they were not, uh, they did not become shareholders to be clear. They had incentives no. yes. to two part incentive structure. Bonuses. Yeah. And then Got we it. paid them off every quarter, 10% first quarter, 20% second quarter, 30% and 40%. You know, I've talked to people on the show before about open book management and, and one of the, the potential downsides that I've heard, and I wondered if you, if you had a reflection on this at all, is that open book management can be great in the early days uh, because there's not a lot of profit. But if the profit starts to become significant money and you're making hundreds of thousands a year, millions a year, all of a sudden they kind of look at you and say, hold on, Caesar, I, I need to renegotiate my you know, $15 an hour wage or whatever it is that, that they make. Did you contemplate what would happen if, if you really started to get really profitable? 
I'm going to be fully honest. Number one, I was in the food industry. So, you know, I'm, I'm in food and logistics. So they're both low margin businesses. So for me, that was never an issue. <laughs> but <laughs> okay. uh, to answer your question, I think it's about education. I, I, now, I, now I do this with a ton of companies, not, not open book, but I, I consult with many companies. And, and um, what, what, what I see a lot is companies that, you know, um, I lost my train of thought, sorry. But companies that um, don't want to disclose certain things, but then they don't understand that when, you, when you're growing, you need cash. And when you do different things, so, so the, the financial education of this, and it's not like I'm disclosing how much I'm making on open management. It's not I'm disclosing how much you make or how much. No, these are, these are line items, right? These are salaries. These are, these are purchasing. This. So when, when you're doing open book management, it doesn't mean that everybody can look at the details around every, every account. It's more line items and what we need to look for. Right. Got so it. like the office, the whole office expenses was just like one block. Right. These, these are the office expenses. So the other side of the coin that I've heard in terms of downsides of open book is, is that if you run into a, a period of low sales where, where your, 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 you know, the revenue drops, it can really freak people out. Yeah. That happened to, that happened to us. And actually, and how did that's, you handle what, that? that's what led to myself. It's not only the, it wasn't drop of sales. It was, it was drop of cash for growth. So um, I don't know if it's time to go to that, but yeah, Josh, go for Josh came in. So I, one of the things that happened was that when I, when I made that realization and we grew the company and, and I was, I was a ceiling of my company and that's why we had plateaued when, when I realized, okay, I need to surround myself with people that know more than me. I brought in a chef who was a um, Josh was, you know, he, he was a Turnberry, a golf club chef, like a country club chef, very renowned and, you know, had a lot of experiences in, in this field. And he was looking for something that wasn't weekends and nights. He was looking for something, you know, his, his boys were teenagers and he was looking for something to, that was more, you know, daytime job. Um, and, and he found us and he came on board and it was part of open management. He knew our books, he knew our numbers, he knew all these things. We were trying to expand at the time. Um, to Orlando, Tampa, and different different cities, and he said, "You know what?" And and everybody knows, hey, we don't have cash. We need to, we need to find cash. We need to find. You know. So remember, all these things are great things for goal setting because it it bands everybody together on one same goal. So if we don't have cash, we need to either cut costs or we need to grow sales. So how are we going to do this? Everybody needs to be on the same page, right? So that's the benefit of that. And then I didn't I didn't know Josh you know, came from, from money or, or, or anything, but when he came on, on board and saw, you know, Hey, this is the opportunity. These are the things that we can do. These, you know, th we need more cash. We need more things. He's like, Hey, 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 your mom isn't here. Can I be your 50% partner? Can I be part of this? I, I always wanted to be part of something that was mine. Right. And that process was, was amazing because then, then that triggered the open book management, plus the vision, plus the culture, plus different things. Josh said, you know, I want to be a part of this. And, and I, it came to my surprise. I was, I was going through SBA and finding different financing ways to grow, fuel the expansion. And, and, and here was Josh saying like, I, I want to be part of this. So what are your sales at this point when you're starting these, like, what's your revenue? You mentioned a three and change. Yeah, we were like a three point. No, wait, no, no. This is when Josh came on. So uh, we were probably like at, at three, around three. Three million in revenue. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. And so Josh is like, I just want to clarify something. You said your mom had gone. You mean she left for Venezuela? Yeah, she, she didn't okay. live in, in the US, yeah. She was still a shareholder though at this she time. She was still a shareholder, yeah. Okay, but she physically left. Okay, yeah, yeah. got it. And so 
Josh is like, I'd really like to be part of something. And so you started to think about selling part of the company to Josh. Is that right? Yes. So I, I, one of the, one of the creative ways of saying is, you know what? And, and at the same time, I, w- I had already started two other businesses because I, I was less and less in the business. So that's when I said, you know what? I can, I can start. This is a perfect opportunity for me to become my mom, right? Now I don't have to be part of the business. I can have somebody who's the operating partner in the business and I can move out. So it was a perfect way for me to step away. And at the same time, he could buy my mom out and I take my mom's place as a 50% shareholder. And then he's the operating partner. So that, that's kind of the outcome that we came out with. Um, and it was a great way for me because the whole, and, and we didn't talk about this, but the, I, I didn't realize that the business was not my purpose. I, I started this business because of an opportunity. I saw a gap. I went into it. I don't know, but food, not, you know, I, it's, not my, it's not my thing. I realized that my passion was the people. That's why I did all these things, right? And, and elevating people and allowing them to have, you know, and empowering them to have the life they want to live. And that, that's what I discovered was my real purpose. So I stopped shifting my, my focus on food, delivery, product, service. I let them do that. And then I just focused on them. That was a big trade-off. But at that point, I started consulting, doing different things and doing that for different companies. And I was, at the time, I was selling the software to different restaurants. And that's where, you know, I'm like, I'm not in the business anymore. So maybe I need somebody who's there to grow the team. And, and that's, that was the other side, right? So Josh coming in was allowing me to step out from the day-to-day. Got it. So clearly you're going to sell half of the company to Josh. Yep. What did you think it might be worth before you, you started down the path of, of valuing it professionally? Like, did you have any sense of what, what you thought it might be worth? I, I am financially illiterate, right? So I, I didn't even know how to start this. Remember, this was a surprise for me. I never thought that an employee wanted to buy my company. So, so we just said like, hey, how do, we, how do we evaluate this company? I don't know, like, is it one-time revenue? Is it, is it four times EBITDA? Is it like, wh- wh- what measure do we go? So to be honest, I, I'm gonna, you know, and that's what this is about. I just said, yeah, let's do evaluation. Let's, we're gonna do a shotgun agreement anyway, right? So we're going to do a shot to let's get uh, an insurance to, to do a valuation on our company on how much we should get for our buy sell agreement, right? And then we got a side valuator, which wasn't the like the top notch valuation company because you know they were charging like ten thousand bucks or twelve thousand bucks just to do a like we can do an overview. And I'm like, well, let me get one that's a little cheaper and see if it comes around around the same amount. And coincidentally, thank God. They both kind of came around, you know, that, that same amount. And um, so what did they value the company at? You're doing 3 million top line. Yeah. If I'm doing right to 12% net margin. So you're roughly 300 grand on the bottom ish. Yep. 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 So what did they, what did they value the business? It was, at? it was four times. So it was 1.2. Okay. And so they yep. said four times EBITDA was what the company was worth. Yeah. Got it. Can you explain what a shot. I'd love to for you to explain. Now two they things. didn't want. Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, what were you going to say? No, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to ask you, could you explain what a shotgun agreement is in layman's terms? And then also I'd love to explore 
what role insurance has in that. But first, I, I need to understand, and I think there are probably people listening who might benefit from hearing what exactly you mean by a shotgun agreement. Yeah, this was a friend of mine. I'm, I'm, I'm part of the entrepreneurial organization. So a, a friend of mine had just uh, uh, done this and, and he said, this is the way you need to do this. And I'm like, okay. So as I d- had no idea what I was doing, this was a great way where a shotgun, the way that works is if you get it, if I, I got into agreement with Josh, right? So if I want to, let me get this right, right? So if I want to buy Josh out, right? Um, I need to say, okay, I'm willing to put this amount of money, but then he makes a decision of whether he's going to buy for that money or, or buy me out for that money, right? So either- You so have to accept I, if, the if same I offer the that price, you make him. Then the other person gets to choose who, who stays and who doesn't, right? Mm-hmm. So- that that's part of that. But in order to do that, then you also get an insurance because if someone dies, there's also a buy sell there where if I die, right, then what is it? My spouse? No, he gets, he gets my, um, what's it called? The, 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 the insurance to buy my, my wife out. So it was like a double thing that we had to do in tandem. So I'm like, Hey, the insurance has to do evaluation anyway. Mind you, I wouldn't recommend this to anyone, but insurance valuations, they want to, they want to jack it up because, because, because they want to sell you more insurance. Right. right. So they're, they're incentivized theoretically to, to jack it up. I hadn't even thought of that. Interesting. But you did well, have an outside that's valuation. That's about it, right? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if that's true. Yeah. I don't, and then you did have an outside valuation done as well. And they yeah, came in at roughly did. the same. And then they came in the same. So I guess it, it, it proves that I'm not right. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. And did, did, when, you, when you were looking at the 300 grand profit, did you uh, go through the process of, of adjusting that profitability to, uh, to go through and kind of take out personal expenses and, and do all the things that you could do to sort of jack up that profitability? Or We did. To be honest, at that time, we were at growth mode. So a lot of that cash was being reinvested in the business. So, so there wasn't a lot of cash coming really out. It was just we, we, we are very, uh, inv- uh, you know, there was a lot of inventory, a lot of stuff that we had to purchase and do and grow and event, you know, so there was, so th- there wasn't that much cash um, in, in the business, but, but yeah, but, you know, um, I'm not sure if I answered the question. Well, you did. And so okay. what, what was Josh's reaction to the valuation of 1.2? Um, so we, we, we had both thought it would come back like at one or one something. Um, so what we said is, you know what, this is so new and this is part of our agreement, but you know, I don't know how much I can disclose, but um, we agreed that we would, we would stay at what valuation we would do, but then he would get a bonus, you know, if, if we met certain metrics of growth and all that in the first couple of years. I because see. A, okay. Since, a, since the company was kind of plateaued, we were trying to grow. So what we wanted to do was we, I wanted to incentivize him to really operate in a, in a growth mindset. Um, because I was stepping away and I want to make sure that the company grew without me. So th- that yeah. was kind of part of the deal as well. So, so did he write a check for 600 grand? Yep. And, and did you then, like, what did you do with that money? Did you get to pocket that, give half to your mom or what, what happened to the 600 grand? So no, it, it went, that was 50% of my mom's, right? And, and, and that we, we bought her out. She, she earned her, her ramp up. And uh, at that point, you know, I, I, I kind of got back a little bit of my seed investment, but it, it was mostly, 
I, I was buying myself my lifestyle. That's that's how I saw this 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 sell. And I know different people sell for different things. Um, I think my reason for selling was because I had something that I loved to do on the side, and this was not my passion anymore. This wasn't this like I, I had lost my passion. And I think that was a reason, one of the main reasons for plateauing because my passion was just not in the business. And kind of proof of that is Josh grew at thirty percent the first year, right? Um, and, and, and I wasn't in it. Um, so I think that's, that's kind of proof of, of what happened. And, um, so, so my purpose was really to get out of the business. And at that point I didn't sell a hundred percent. And I think it was most of the mind trash in my head saying that if I sold all of my business, I would stop being an entrepreneur. Hmm. And, and, you know, I, I kept to it because I wanted to stay in the O. I would still want to be an entrepreneur because on the side, I was doing a lot of teaching, like all the things that I did for myself as an entrepreneur, I was doing for other entrepreneurs. So I was, I was training forum in EO. I was doing an accelerator program in EO. I was EO, EO being entrepreneurs organization, organization, uh, entrepreneurs which is, organization. Yeah. Which is something that most people listening will have heard yeah. of, but maybe some. I was doing uh, EOS implementation, the operating system. I was doing purpose discovery. So everything I went through, I was doing for other entrepreneurs. And I loved it, right? Because it was so tied to my passion to the things I wanted to do. But I didn't want to be labeled as a consultant or a coach. or I wanted right. to be an entrepreneur, right? You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so I, at that point, I'm like, no, I'm going to sell 50% and I'm going to have the best of both worlds. Right. I'm do be, what I love, but I'm going to be an entrepreneur. So what happened to the business when you stepped away? Josh took over. You mentioned he grew it to 20% or 30% in the first year. I think the first year was 30%. Second year, it declined a little bit. <laughs> um, there was a lot of competition, a lot of, a lot of th different things in the market um, that were happening. A lot of consolidation in the market was happening. Um, the big fish were trying to buy smaller fishes and, and it was, it was tough. Um, you know, we never blame the out, outside world, but at the same time, internally, there was a little conflict and in, in, in different things there, but, um, and then COVID hit next year, the year after 2020. Right? Yeah. And that hit us hard because, um, you, we are, you know, so our niche was delivering healthy meals to people in corporate. We did not want to deliver to residential because delivering one meal in residential took you 20 minutes. Delivering 100, you know, 100 meals took you five minutes in a corporate setting. So um, COVID hit us hard, hit us hard. And we were in the process of, of finding, you know, there was a consolidation process happening in South Florida. So we were in the process of looking for buyers and seeing if we, we, we got bought in different ways. Um, and then COVID hit and it put everything into a, uh, into a halt. And that's, that's when I realized, you know what? I, sh I should have sold three years ago my 50%, but I didn't. Um, and right now I'm impeding the company of moving forward because I'm not in the company. I can't help the company right now. I'm, I'm doing all these things on the side. You know, I have two other businesses that depend on me. So that's when the operating partner came up and stepped up and said, you know what, Caesar? <laughs> I'll buy your 50%. And that's, that's the, so at the end, I, I ended up selling to two of my employees. Um, yeah. How did you value that second tranche of equity? Because the business had dropped a lot. Yeah. Uh, we, what we were, were you at we revenue were half of, We were less than half of revenue that we were um, wow. with my first sale. Um, 
And, and uh, it, was, it was a difficult decision. And I think that, you know, a lot of people, and again, I think my reason for sale was to focus on the things I love to do and what I was doing. And this was an amazing opportunity for my operations manager came to us five years ago with $1,500 in her pocket. And um, she worked two jobs, you know, and then became manager. And, and when she became manager, I'm like, you have to, this can be your only job. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll make it work. And uh, these are the bonuses. This is open management. If you make these numbers, you make it work. And she, she made it work. And the business could not work without her. And, and, and Josh knew that, my chef, the, the person who bought my first 50%. And he knew that. And so between him and I, you know, a cell fell through. And him and I said, you know what? What's best for the company? And what's best for the company is for Francis to take this 50%. And we found a way creatively. There was no valuation. We, we weren't going to do a valuation. Probably it was zero at the point, mid-COVID. Um, and, and we came up with a, with a very creative way of getting me out of all the debt and then paying me within three years, you know, diff, you know my different installments and different things. And now she's a 50% owner. Um, and what debt did you have on the business, Caesar? We had, you know, we had some line of credits. We had some uh, loans. We had we had taken off uh, for the growth side, and you know, equipment loans we had. So it's mostly like just taking me off everything. In the, so like I had no other guarantees in the business, no backing guarantees, no le- no liens, no no equipment guarantees. Did um, Francis have to assume those that personal responsibility yeah. for those? So she assumed those as part of the uh, part of the purchase, and then. Um, we're, and then we're, we went to the, um, to the thing. Now, the, the impressive thing is that, and the, 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 all honesty is I, her and I are very much optimists and I knew she would make it work and, and she's proven that, right? So, so the, the business has done a full turnaround. Now it's not only a meal delivery service, it's a kitchen commissary where they produce, you know, cook, uh, keto cookies and different things for different vendors. So it's, it's turned into and, and she always had that vision. So when, when I sold and, and she took on these, it, it wasn't, I wasn't selling a dying business. It, it was, we all understood that this needed a pivot and this needed to change what it was, but I just didn't have the energy to do that. But how did you agree? Like, what was the formula by which you agreed to be paid out? Was it like future profits or share of future profits? Or how did you structure that the payments that, the business will pay you in the future? Well, it was a fixed amount we agreed to based on the gap between what we considered the valuation of the company and what, what the debt was. So it was a difference of that. How did um, you figure out what the value of the company was? We, we just replicated kind of the, where, where we were on 2000, you know, where we were now. And, you know, we, we all, the three of us came to an agreement on that, but I'm not sure, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a, it wasn't a third party decision. We all right. agreed. But presumably there was no profit in the business at that time, right? Because COVID had hit, everything was killing. We were still. Oh, you still we profitable. Were, okay. We were very little, but very little, but we were still profitable. Yes. So did you apply a multiple to the profit or did you use revenue the second time? Or how did you, like, what was the the valuation technique. What did we do? Um, how do we come up with a number? It was the debt plus, how do we come up with a valuation at the end? 
I don't know. We just sat down and, and talked it over. And then we saw what we had in the books. We saw what we had. I think at the end, it was a revenue number. Uh, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't say exactly what it was. That's Sorry. fine. That's fine. So it, clearly in your own admission, finance is not like something that it, it wasn't, jazzes you up or whatever. To, yeah. And to be, on, to be honest, yeah, well, no. All right. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, what? <laughs> I, I, like in my mind, in my mind, the way, when I sat down to that conversation, of course, to make it a win, 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 because this was a three, three party negotiation. My, my mind was set on, I love doing what I'm doing and my two other businesses. And I, and this is an opportunity I can, and it's aligned with my purpose with a lot, you know, empowering somebody to take ownership and do that. So in my mind, it was when we agreed to the numbers, I never really took into account that I was going to be paid in the next few years. Right. Like in my mind, it was like, I just, let's just be like, if you're responsible for the business, take me out of the debt, take me out of the different things that I need to get out of. And then that gave me sanity. And then the, the, the extra was just gravy on the top for me because we were just negotiating numbers. And I think when I took that ego out of saying I got hit with these multiples, I think, I think that's why when you ask me, I'm like, I really don't know the details. We just sat down and we just agreed to a number and I was okay with that number. Um, it's middle COVID and we're trying to, we're trying to reinvent the business. And at the same time, I didn't have time to be there to help them. So I just felt, I, I think it was guilt plus, plus different things. Um, at the end, I think, uh, and I've been paid. So that's been great. And they, they're doing much better than what we thought they would, but they ended 2020 in a better state than what we thought they would. And do you um, participate in that benefit or did you just get your? No, no, no. We just got a fixed number because Fra okay. Francis was smart. She already knew what she was going to do. And we all knew the, the plans, but I wasn't sure she, and they had like two contracts already in the works and all these things, but you know, but I'm okay. I'm okay. This is not an ego thing. For me, it was about, you know, leaving my, my baby and my business to somebody that would, that for Josh and Francis, that could really carry it over, could grow it, could make good of it in, in a terrible situation that we're in with, with restaurants in this, in this period. But at the same time, it aligned with my purpose of empowering my employees. And like just a story of me selling my company to my employees, I think is, is one, it got me into the show, right? So it's like, <laughs> I, I never thought I would be here. It wasn't even, uh, you know, so I think in my mind, selling the company was never an objective. So I think it, it was just aligned with my purpose. And I think part of what you talk about too is why do you want to sell is for me, it was because it was aligned to my purpose with my employees and allowing them to empower them to live the life they want to live. And also to empower me to live the life I want to live. It was I think there's a, a lot of people a listening. <laughs> I think there's a lot of people listening who have gone through COVID and, and are going through COVID and are feeling very much the same way you feel and you did feel, right? They are, uh, you know, they're burnt out. They want to go do something else. This has been for a lot of people crushing, uh, you know, really, really emotionally difficult period yeah. for a lot, a lot of people. And, uh, and I think they will hear your story and think, did he sell for hundreds of millions of dollars? No, but, but no. is he doing what he wants to be doing? Yeah. And, and I think that's interesting. I, I'd be curious to know, and you know, for folks who are thinking about going through something similar, selling to a partner, maybe over time, so you're not getting some fantastic valuation. Like, is there, if you had it to do over again, 
the second sale, the second tranche where, where you exited to uh, Francis and, and Josh, you know, you've had some time to think about it. Is there anything you might do differently? I don't, I don't reminisce. I don't, I don't go through that. I, I think if, if I were to do something different, I would have sold my whole company <laughs> three years ago, <laughs> but you know, you can't go back. I think, I think my head trash of, 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 you know, selling my baby, selling, selling a company that defined me for so long, you know, I was 16 years in my company, you know, and then, you know, and all that. So for me, for me doing that was, was, I think that's what I would have changed, but I'm not sure. I think it, it allowed me to grow in different ways and Francis wouldn't own it right now. So I, I don't, I don't know. Now I remember how you asked me, you asked me before how we came up with the number and it just popped up. We had, we, we had a valuation that, you know, we, we a, a guy was trying to buy us out. So we had a number. So they, 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 we already had a number. So we just used that number. Sorry. Okay. So you, you'd had a, a, an, off, an offer that had fallen yeah. through. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Got it. So you it had, had you had it to do over again from a negotiation standpoint, you may have sold a hundred percent, but you're, you're, you're hedging a little bit because Francis may not have had the opportunity she has today. You know what? And, and that's what I like the most about this sale is, is giving the, the, the ability for somebody else who's a true go-getter to be an entrepreneur and, and really own her business. So, um, yeah, and I know I know I'm a different type of story in your show than, than most others, but for me, I'm I'm making most more money than ever. Like I never dreamt of making this this amount of money now because now I'm focused and I'm not, and and I and I love what I do and I'm I'm so passionate for what I do. So um, I I I at the end, it was a win win win. There was there was no there was no down there. So yeah. Well, I'm glad you shared the story with the Caesar. Where can people reach you? Is are you a, a LinkedIn guy or a Twitter guy? What's the best way for folks to reach out if they wanted to yeah, say hi on social media? Uh, LinkedIn, uh, Caesar Quintero, Caesar E Quintero, I think is a is a handle, and then theprofitrecipe.com. Awesome, and we'll put that all in the show notes. So, Caesar, thank you for joining us. Thank you, John. It was it was great uh, talking about, about different stories. <laughs> Hey, if you like today's episode, you're going to love my new book, The Art of Selling Your Business. The book was inspired by the cohort of my guests over the years who have been able to negotiate an exit far better than the benchmark in their industry, sometimes two or three times more than I would have expected. I was curious to understand the tactics and strategies of these entrepreneurs and what they do differently from average performers. The result is a playbook for punching above your weight when it comes to selling your business. To learn more, go to builttosell.com slash selling, where we put together a collection of gifts for listeners who order the book. Just go to builttosell.com slash selling. Thanks for listening to Built to Sell Radio with John Warlow. For complete show notes with links to additional resources, visit builttosell.com slash blog. John is the founder of the Value Builder System. To find out how to improve the value of your business by 71%, visit valuebuildersystem.com. John is also the author of Built to Sell, creating a business that can thrive without you, and the automatic customer, creating a subscription business in any industry. 
Connect with John at Facebook.com slash Built to Sell or on Twitter at John Warlow, W-A-R-R-I-L-L-O-W. Thanks for listening.